Dr. Blake, thank you so much for joining the Women of New York podcast. We're grateful to have you and are looking forward to hearing and learning more about you and your vast experience in fight for equality. Um, would you mind introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about you? Yes, well, let me say thank you for inviting me to join you. You're talking about some of my favorite topics. Um, well, I'll start with my family. I am wife to Professor James Blake for 57 years this coming June. I have four children. I have seven grandchildren. I'm an educator. Uh, I am friend. I'm an author. I love to write. <laughs> I have two books that are out and I'm working on my third, which is at the publisher now. Um, and something about my education, my early education. I started my education in a one-room schoolhouse on a sharecropper plantation where my family, my mother and my sister and brother, we fled like slaves in the middle of the night. <laughs> then I continued my schooling, my public schooling uh, in Louisiana. And from elementary school to the time that I got my doctorate at Columbia and my uh, postdoctoral study at Harvard, I studied at all segments. Uh, so that's a little bit about my, my background. And in that process, in that educational journey, in the struggle, um, against racism and, and sexism and you know all the things that we encounter women were always at the center they were the ones who lifted me and kept me moving forward so I, i'm grateful to be able to to have this conversation with you about women and if, if i could mention a few of them please teachers were an important group of women and one that comes to mind is Sister Lucille Anderson, who was my first public school teacher um, on the plantation. And she was a very compassionate woman. She was the one who arranged to have a, a car come and get my family in the middle of the night and take us to my first uh, urban school, uh, Southern Town. And then there were church women, once I was in Louisiana, who had a great impact. Um, I'm thinking about my Sunday school teachers. They couldn't read or write, but they taught me to um, listen more carefully, and I learned reading comprehension from them. And then in the black colleges, you know, I know there's a lot of focus on black colleges now with the new vice president. There was Anthenia J. Bates. She looked like she came out of the middle ages. She used to dab her little top of her lip with a, a hanky. And, and she would say, well, Miss Waits, you know, and she seemed so um, gentle. And the, 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 the time, the semester that I was 
due to graduate, she called me into a classroom, said she wanted to meet, and I wondered, well, why aren't we meeting in her office? She said that, uh, well, it's not what she said, it's what she did. All the professors were there, and I felt like I was on trial. And that's how they kind of like forced me into uh, going to graduate school because I thought if I didn't sign that paper for a fellowship to graduate school, then they weren't going to let me graduate for my baccalaureate degree. So that, that's just a little bit about my educational journey. That's an incredible journey. <laughs> Truly, I'm, I'm amazed by you. I'm sure yeah. Cecilia is as well. Cecilia, do you want to just introduce yourself and and tell us a little bit about your role at the Women, um, the Center for the Women of New York? Yes. Uh, good evening, Dr. Blake. we um, I want to second what Kathy said. We're very, we're. It's a great honor to have you uh, tonight with us. Thank you so much for joining us and for letting us, uh, for sharing uh, your story with you. Um, I am. Um, the Vice President of the Center for the Women of New York. And we like honor and um, we honor women like you. And we like to bring people like you to inspire other women, to help women who need help. Like you needed help from those amazing teachers. Women um, in my life. <laughs> uh, thank you. Thank you for sharing your story. It's so valuable to us. And in February, which is Black Month history, but always like this interview will treasure forever, every month, every year. We strongly well, believe that Black history doesn't just happen in the shortest right. month of the year, Dr. Blake. And we have made it a point to live and breathe Black history always. That's in our core of who we are. That's in our DNA. And we know that that's a large part of the um, Center for Women of New York's mission is equality, and a lot of that is making sure that we're leveling the playing field for everybody. That's wonderful. <laughs> All the we need like, a little Rosa Parks by now, don't we? <laughs> yes, that, that's a, my uh, that that's my next question. However, like this is so interesting and so relevant today. Yeah, and like the one thing in my mind, like talking about the public issue, and we're talking about you know black history and like how like it does come to my mind and i think it's worth mentioning before we go to uh, the very important question of rosa parks um that this pandemic has affected um black families um so much more and black and brown i, I would say uh, yes. than than other communities so I, I i i couldn't just transfer to the next question without just mentioning that yes it has yes it has and if if uh Rosa Parks was, was here, she mm. would be out volunteering somewhere. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Uh, like, no doubt that she would. Yeah. So, um, two years ago, <laughs> my um, you, you did a presentation in, um, in an elementary public school where your grandchildren attended. And I learned about you through my third grader at the time. She told me how inspiring your presentation was um, when you talked about what you did uh, with Rosa Parks. Um, so I would love for you to share some of what you spoke about uh, that inspired my daughter as well as many other uh, young kids. Mm -hmm. And for those of you who are listening, 
this is a slide like well and dr blake will explain this slide well i wanted to start by saying i love rosa parks <laughs> we have so much in common um i like her because she's made all our lives better and uh I feel a kindred spirit with her because um, my earliest days was started, I was on a bus in Alabama of all places, which is her home state. And uh, uh, I was, my mother was taking me to see my father before he was shipped off to World War II. And it, there was a, a racial, incident that forced the the incident was i was crying because it was it was hot on the bus and my mother got off in the middle of nowhere at you know when, when night was falling because she thought that they might um kill me she had read where they had crashed some woman's baby against the bus because the, the baby wouldn't keep quiet so that's my early, early bus incident. <laughs> and uh, uh, I, I love her because she loves children, because she has courage, because she has a determination and devotion to a cause, and she just stuck with it for so many years. Her activism started in the 30s and went through the 90s. And so I just have a great deal of, of love and respect. And I'm fortunate now to say that I have 25 years of friendship with Rosa, Rosa Parks. Uh, and I'm still with her because I worked on her official um, eulogy. And I ironed the dress that she wore, <laughs> that she's wearing right now. So I love Rosa Parks, but I met her and her executive assistant, Elaine Steele, uh, at the College of New Rochelle when they came, when Mrs. Parks was awarded an honorary degree. I asked my husband to pick them up at the airport and uh, because it's a very, it was a very busy time for me, there were, I think about 600 women graduating that year and I had to call all of them by name. So he went out to LaGuardia Airport and he had a single rose and he waited for her, roses for Rosa, you know, one rose for Rosa. And he, he um, hired a limousine because this was a big deal. And, and it was a fabulous graduation. Everybody just roared to, 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 you know, to meet her. They were just so excited. And on the limousine ride back, he started teasing her. He said, Miss Parks, tell me something about that day on the bus. And she started to speak. He said, wait, 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 Mrs. Parks. Whatever you tell me, I'm gonna tell my grandchildren. So, tell me to think about it because you know it's going to go down through my family and she said well professor and he cut her off again and she said he said uh you didn't think long enough 
I want you to be sure. And she's a very even-tempered woman, but she got a little annoyed. And she said, well, if you let me, I'll tell you something that you don't know. And uh, so he got quiet. And she said, the name of the bus driver was James Blake. And that shocked him, because his name is James Blake. And he, um, he was embarrassed, because he's a self-declaimed uh, black history scholar and so he said well I tell you what that that James Blake put you off the bus but I am going to have a limousine for you whenever you come to New York so that's how the friendship started and we um, of course I had to keep make good on the promise but we spent many wonderful hours at the uh at LaGuardia Airport, believe it, <laughs> uh, with Miss Steele and, and Miss Parks. And th that the friendship deepened. Uh, and uh she she started coming to our home and uh it was a relaxing atmosphere and we could sit and talk. Um uh, and I started asking her questions. I said, Mrs. Sparks, when, when I look through pictures about the marches, I don't see you. Did you work behind the scenes? And she said, no, I didn't. I was marching. She said, I started at the front of the line, but they kept pushing me onto the shoulders. And after a while, someone would come back and get me and bring me back to the front. And, um, that kept happening. And so she said, so I just kind of stayed in, stayed in the background, but I marched. And then I wanted to know, well, I've seen pictures of you at the signing of the Voting Rights Act, but I didn't see pictures of you at the signing of the 1964 Civil Rights Movement. I mean, uh, you know, the signing of the bill. And she said, well, I wasn't invited in her usual calm, nonchalant way. And I was thinking, oh, the mother of the civil rights movement wasn't invited. I mean, the one who sparked the movement. And she responded, she said, it's not, you know, I, 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 I'm not concerned about being at a ceremony or being at, in a photograph. She says, the important thing is that we are moving forward. And I thought, well, when, whenever we, whatever we're doing, that is a good attitude to have. We, we dedicated uh, our campus in Harlem in the name of Rosa Parks, and everybody wore that, this button. And she fell in love with them, and she used to call me and say, Dr. Blake, I need more buttons, or Elaine, her, her hey, we need more buttons. They became a collectible item. So usually during Black History Month and Women's History Month, I pull out my Rosa Parks button and I gave out a few at PS98. <laughs> I love the button. This is incredible. <laughs> okay. And then if I, um, I met uh, Elaine was, um, Elaine met Mrs. Parks when she was 16 years old. 
And Mrs. Fox referred, Mrs. Fox, as you know, didn't have children and this was her daughter. She would always say, well, Elaine is like a daughter to me. And so they, they were together from the time she was, Elaine was 16 until uh, Mrs. Parks passing. And then my husband and um, Elaine and Mrs. Parks and I spent lots of times in airports and I got a chance to travel with her around the country um, and to Mexico because she was trying to start an international um, uh, well, she, they established the Rose and Raymond Parks Institute for Self-Development. Elaine and Mrs. Parks co-founded it in honor of her husband, who was an activist. <laughs> At, but he uh, is it, just a man that I have a great deal of respect for because he gave up his job as um, a barber. And if you know anything about the black community, you know, the barbers, that's the center, the, the place where black men can go and just be themselves, you know. And so he, he, he was a leader working to free the Scottsboro boys in the 30s. And so Mrs. Parks wanted his name to be up front so people would always, they would, it wouldn't become the Rosa Parks Institute, but it's the Raymond and Rosa Parks Institute. So uh, it was quite a love story. This is at the, at, we, we were at home uh, at my house in Queens and we cooked together and we would sit around and chat about Montgomery and the civil rights movement. And, um, you know, she would answer questions like, you know, why wasn't she at the front of the line in some of those pictures? Or why wasn't she at the uh, signing of the, the Civil Rights Bill? And of course, uh, her legacy is passed on to Cecilia's child and to my child. <laughs> and then Mr. Blake has two sons and he's passing the legacy on to them. So we all love Rosa Parks. She was a humble woman. And I've heard her do many, you know, speeches. And, and I had wanted to have a snippet today, but I just have to learn the technology. But she, did, she didn't talk about herself. And she wasn't trying to get a spot in the sun. It was uh, Miss Steele and people who loved her, who encouraged her to tell her story. And I recommend to your audience, read Rosa Parks, my story, because it's in her own words, and it's a fine piece of, of history. And while I'm recommending, you know, I'm an English teacher. While I'm recommending books, Quiet Strength is another Rosa Parks uh, public book that that you'll enjoy reading. It's about her spiritual journey and how where she gets her strength from. Um, she was um, a deaconess in her church. Can you imagine coming into the church? She served as usher and being ushered to your seat by Rosa Parks. Uh, 
she volunteered in her community in nursing homes and she she was just a re remarkable woman and she didn't stop in montgomery she yeah something for the children so um i am rosa parks it's a great book for children so i got my english thing out of the way <laughs> Uh, the Rose and Raymond Parks Institute for Self-Development had, had, still has um, a premier program called Pathways to Freedom. When I was on the, on the board of directors of the Institute, they, they allowed me to name it Pathways to Freedom. But the program followed the route of the Underground Railroad and the Freedom Riders and groups of diverse students from all over the country loaded on a bus with Mrs. Parks, Miss Steele, and some other volunteers. And they traveled these routes into Canada and down into the Deep South. And they were able to talk with other uh, history makers and to witness Mrs. Parks interacting with them. She wanted to do this because she wanted to she saw children as our futures. As a matter of fact, she said that next to the December 1st stance that she took, she wants most to be remembered for the work that she um, did with children. And her work didn't stop with the Youth Council of the NAACP, where she took young people you know, on marches to the library, the segregated library. It continued in Detroit, and, uh, and, and I have that love for children. It's one of the reasons I love her. She's always wants to be around young people, and to, she says that's the way we ensure our future. So that day on the bus uh, is our legacy. It's mine, it's yours, it's Cecilia's daughter. And I am thinking about a kindergartner at PS 98, where someone told her, oh, you're too young to understand what Dr. Blake is talking about. And she says, yes. I understand. Rosa Parks changed the rules. And so that's why I love Rosa Parks. She changed the rules. I I love that story so much, um, Dr. Blake. And 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 I think the the moment in the Mongo Bar, uh, the Mongo Mary bus boycott is something that she's really prominently known for. And I know she you talked a lot about this. She challenged, you know racial violence, prejudice systems in numerous ways. She was also part of the um, NAACP and was one of the two women in the chapter, became an electric secretary for the chapter. And she, in, in that role, served um, numerous public responses to multiple prominent criminal and civil cases. Can you talk a little bit more about, you know, 
and you started to about what she was beyond that moment and the how much of a skilled strategist she was and how brilliant she was. Do you mind just talking a little bit about that time and the work that was happening? Well, um, I, I, I really, I don't feel qualified to talk about that because I was, when Rosa Parks was taking her, making her stance and doing the work, she, I think I was, I must have been between 10 and 14 years old. And when I was with her, she, in her speeches, she very rarely talked about herself. She was always lifting someone up. She was saying, well, now you know, you know about Joanne Robinson, don't you? She was the school teacher who got all those notices out. Uh, Fatima Clark, she talked a lot about her. Or her best friend, um, Johnny, Johnny Carr. Or about the Durs, the attorney and the woman she would, was, would sew for. But she didn't talk about herself. She was, she was so humble. She was always saying, but there were others. There were many others. And so I, I, I didn't have a firsthand had knowledge. I, I do know um, about the climate that she was working in because I grew up in that climate. Uh, it was it was very difficult. It was like being in a war zone, and you, there was no no. Uh, well, you just didn't feel safe, whether you were at home or in the streets or on the streets or at church. There, there was not. There was danger. It was a dangerous climate, and. Sad to say that there, there are communities now right here in New York City that feel that way. Uh, you know, where as a young person, I, I didn't, I, I felt sometimes anger and sometimes frightened because of vile words that were hurled at me. Or angry because somebody called my father boy and my, and my mother gal. That's yeah. So sad. Or or someone being used as someone else's sport and play, you know, being heckled, uh, having dogs sit on you, that that sort of thing. Um, people disappearing. I mean, that you know, I I don't know. Well, I think with all the the media we have today, people realize that when Rosa Parks refused to give up her seat. There was really, there was a really, her life was in danger. So. Absolutely, and as you said before, we have a long way to go. You'll yeah. be um, so. What individual steps do you think need to be taken taken for full equality and social justice to be reached um, to be reached in this country and in the world? individual steps? Um, well, I, I think we really have to, and we talked about it earlier, to slow down. 
you know, the pace is so fast that we forget what's important, as you've said. We need to listen to one another. You know, we're in these these uh, silos, so all of us can take some responsibility for being critical listeners. I mean, really listening to one another. It makes me think about the January 6th situation at the Capitol. You know, we, we, we're not talking to one another. And I think as individuals, we if we took the courage and get out of our comfort zone, like, you know, doing a Zoom is not my comfort zone, but I think the dialogue is worth it. How else are we gonna to get to know one another? and get to care about one another. So as an individual, we can, we can do more reaching out. 100%. What is it gonna hurt you to say hello to me? <laughs> mm -hmm. And you never know who, when people are, what they're silently going through, you know, that's, that's the, the catch. Um, it's not something you wear. You know, um, with that, you and you brought up, you know, the events that happened this year. And shortly after that event happened, we also had, you know, VP Kamala Harris become not only the first woman, but the first Black and South Asian um, woman to hold office of vice presidency. What do you think that moment represents, um, given all of the work that we've talked about and the women that we've amplified throughout this conversation? Well, it represents another door open. Uh, when, when she became the vice president, I was very excited. I, it gave me hope. Um, and at the same time, I was excited. It, it was a challenge to all of us. You know, so much is May I, I, I look forward to a time where we don't have to make such a big deal. You know, let's talk about, you know, her qualifications, her background, but there's so much made about she's a woman, she's a woman, and, and, and she's, you know, a woman of color. And when I was appointed dean at the College of Rochelle, you know, I was the first African-American, and the first woman, although this was a woman's college, to be appointed dean in the 100-year history of the institution. And I was ecstatic to be noted, you know, that it was worthy of note in Jet Magazine, a little Black publication. And then I was also sad, why, why is this worthy of note? Why couldn't we be having a conversation that says she is the right person for the job. Not that this is historic because, you know, she's African-American or she went to a historically black college or, you, you know. So it, it, it's, it's a hope and it's a reminder, but I do see it as a door opened and there's gonna be young women 
other people who are marginalized, little girls who are going to see her in the vice presidency and reach higher. So I think it's fantastic. That's what we're hoping for, right? And yes, for yes. for next month um, at the center, we do have a series of first but not last. Yes. And oh, that's wonderful! I like. That. Thank you, Kathy, for that suggestion. So we'll highlight, um, you know, first but not last women. So it's it's nice to learn that you were the first, uh, but not the last uh, dean at, at the college at Rochelle's at New Rochelle's right. College. Um, so to end, and thank you so much for being with us tonight. It's, um, it's such a pleasure for our organization to have this interview. And can I just say, God, accept our good friend and talented Cecily Tyson into glory. <laughs> yes, we, yeah. we don't want to say we, we are sorry for your loss. We know that you were you are a close friend of Cicely Tyson and uh, we know like how important her legacy was. Um, so if we were happy to end that um, now it's an honoring her legacy and if you want to say any final words to our audience tonight we'll appreciate it. Yeah well I just want to say that um, I think education is, is our key form and we need uh, education that uh, focuses on some, some education that focuses on citizenship and service and those kinds of things. You know, as we're getting jobs, let's remember to be more human. That's it. I love And thank you so much for having me. <laughs> thank you for joining us. You are so incredible. I'm leaving so inspired. I'm feeling, I'm leaving like I've learned more. Mm -hmm. And I, as a young woman in the workplace, as a young woman who has a master's degree, I feel empowered in the education that's been laid before me and all the wonderful women, including yourself, who've allowed doors to open that I've so easily have walked through. And that without women like you and so many that were instrumental in your life have helped us open along the way. And as we keep opening them as first to yeah. things to come, we hope that we make it a little bit easier for people to walk through doors that weren't previously opened the way in which you have and so many others. So we thank yes. you for your service, your dedication and your vision because it requires vision beyond provision and resources to do the work that you, your husband and so many others have dedicated their lives into doing. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so to our listeners, if you would like to uh, watch the slides, uh, to watch the video with the slides that you miss uh, with the audio, please find them at cwny.org.